right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson, and along with me, some cool news to announce. We introduced Adam Dravetta to you. Uh, um, a couple weeks ago, we started working here a little bit. He's going to work in, be working here a little bit more. Uh, I believe our GM talked with Adam today and officially extended uh, an invite to be a part of the show long term. Um, so congratulations to Adam. Adam, thank you for coming in here and uh, look forward to working with you. I'm pretty stoked. Thank you, Derek. Um, I know you had a lot to do with me getting this opportunity, so um, it's as much your fault as anybody's. But I, I'm yeah, I'm I'm stoked. I I posted on Twitter. Um, you know, I'm, I'm actually getting money to talk about sports. It's insane to me. Um, I don't know. This is like I I still remember in like sixth grade when I had a whiteboard in the basement and every year uh, around Christmas I would put up all the bowl games and the scores and teams of all the bowl games. And then I'd erase it and um, during tournament time in the spring I would put up the bracket. So my I it was you know it it was around then that it first it, it occurred to me that not everybody is as obsessed about sports <laughs> as I am but it's awesome to be in an environment where other people are um, and I'm really excited I'm I I hope the uh, the folks who have been listening on Monday Wednesday Friday are are excited to hear me now the other two days of the week um, but yeah I I have nothing more to say except how how grateful and excited I am and I hope I. Uh, live up to the expectations all right so adam dravetta you're going to be hearing from him uh, a lot um big 12 awards are officially out the coaches voted on them the preseason poll is going to be out tomorrow so we'll get to that on tomorrow's show um but on the player list they released a preseason all big 12 team which is usually just five guys it's usually just the first team the postseason award has the second and third team as well, and then there's some honorable mention picks, and then there's preseason player of the year, newcomer of the year, freshman of the year. A lot of Kansas filling up the list. Uh, I mean, you'd imagine that Kansas, a good basketball team at a good basketball school who's projected to do good basketball things this year, would have a lot of guys. But I, I don't know that I was expecting this many. So uh, Remy Martin, preseason player of the year, that makes sense. This is kind of funny. We were talking about this beforehand uh, you mentioned to me that you think it's some sort of rule. Otherwise, this wouldn't make sense because the preseason newcomer of the year is Marcus Carr, who Remy Martin is the player of the year, and Remy Martin is a newcomer, so it's got to be some sort of rule. Yeah, that's that's my that's my bet. I feel like that that was did, did Wiggins win player of the year in fourteen? I don't know if it was Wiggins or Ben McLemore, but I remember a, a young KU player. Um, Get a freshman, I think, winning player of the year. I remember, or maybe just being in contention, maybe not winning it, but I just remember this coming up before um, where a person who technically was a newcomer 
won player of the year and somebody else won newcomer of the year based on what I believe was a rule that those have to be two separate people. This just seems so silly to me. It's random. I I mean, I, you'd rather, if I had to pick one, if I had to pick one for Remy Martin to be, I'd prefer he be yeah. the player of the year. Oh, definitely. So, I just, but it, it, you know. yeah, it is kind of random. I don't know. I, I'm, I know a lot of people like to, um, you know, get, get uppity about, well, we shouldn't just give everybody a trophy and, and that's certainly not what they're doing here, but I understand yeah, I, you know, I, I'm fine with it. It's just weird. Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. From a, how like Marcus Carr's like, a really good player. How but. would you feel if you if you won that award? Like, let's say let's say it turns out, and I'm sorry, who'd you say was in line? Marcus for, Carr. So like, let's say Marcus Carr wins Newcomer of the Year, and it works out that Remy Martin wins Player of the Year. How would you feel if you're Marcus Carr, knowing that you won the award, but technically you're second? Because it was a newcomer that actually beat you out for player. Well, see, of the I'm year. curious about that. Like, do you convince yourself that it's just like, oh, he just won player of the year because his team was better, but I'm the better player, and that shows it here. Is it almost like the case of, you know, how in the NFL there's MVP and then offensive player of the year? Where yeah. like, I think Patrick Mahomes won MVP a couple years ago, but I don't think he won offensive player of the year that year. I want to say right. it was somebody Rogers else. Rodgers did. Was it? Because okay. he beat out Rodgers for MVP. Mm-hmm. So. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just like that, I guess. But anyway, uh, the All-Big 12 team, Matthew Meyer. Maybe, uh, it, was, maybe it was Drew Brees, but either way, mm-hmm. it wasn't. Uh, anyway, go ahead. Marcus Carr of Texas, Terrence Shannon Jr. of Texas Tech. There was a tie, so that's why there's six players on the five team. The other three players are all Jayhawks. Remy Martin, Ochag Baji, and David McCormick. And, you know, I could go through the honorable mention list, but there's no KU players there, so I don't even feel the need to bring this up. Basically, that means the expectation is for three of the top six players to be on Kansas in the Big 12 this year. I I don't know how, I mean, coming into it, I don't know how you could argue against it. I will say this, and and we'll talk about this as the season gets closer. Um, I think David McCormick needs a few more moves. He showed a few more moves down the stretch. I wonder you know, how different things would have gone in that uh, Eastern Washington game that KU eventually did win, but was losing most of the way and then of course uh just got pummeled against USC when McCormick was available but was coming off the you know the COVID illness you know David McCormick just is not going to play he can be really great he you know the way Udoka was but he's not going to be great in the same way Udoka Azubuki was you know he could be as good but not in the same manner because he's he's gonna have to be a lot more finesse he he can dunk he's a very very strong player but he's not, you know, Udoka had, like, if you think of the greats, I mean, he had so much power. He was much more power than finesse. And I just, one, I don't know that um, that McCormick is tall enough and long enough to, to dunk the way Udoka did. Um, but if he gets going with those hook shots and, and some of those, um, I know mid-range is a is a four-letter word in, in modern basketball, but you know if he can get going away from the basket, that's only going to open up things for him at the basket. So uh, you know he, he that's to me his biggest thing is I, I I'm not looking for him to improve um, you know so much at the basket. I'm, I'm I'm interested in seeing him improve with more moves away from the basket. Ochai. Um, Happy he's back. I, I still don't see Ochai as the kind of guy who's ever going to make a, a huge splash in the NBA, which is fine. You can still make a heck of a living overseas. I just don't know that he has the athleticism, but I think he 
I can't make an argument against him being on first team. If I had a vote, if I had a vote in the AP, he'd certainly be on my first team. And yeah, Remy Martin is you know they're getting a four you know he was the player of the year in a in a power conference. Yeah, I I, I don't have a problem with that. I just think it's interesting because if that ends up being the case, they're going to be a good if team. If KU does have three of the top six players in the conference, I mean, what gets me is the the no. I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, well, they're going to live up to all the expectations and more because you're talking about a team that would have now front line. If your first team all conference in one of the best basketball conferences, which the Big Twelve is, you know, you look at Ken Palm a lot of years, their first or second. You can argue their first, second, or third in any order uh, based on what you value in the conference. Uh, point being, if you're a top five basketball conference and you're first team all conference, that puts you in discussion to be an All American. That means you would have three players in discussion to be All American. And now you're talking about this isn't just a team with three guys and nobody else. This is a team with three guys and all sorts of depth. We don't know who's going to play at certain positions because they're too deep almost. So if you're talking about having three of the top six players in the conference and having that depth, there's no way that this doesn't work out for KU. Now, whether that works out and whether all that lives up to fruition is another conversation. And I think more likely than not, one of the things to keep in mind here. Those three players could end up all being three of the top six players in the conference, but they're not all going to end up on the first team all-conference team because part of it as well at the end of the year is based on stats and performance, and it's going to be really hard to share enough shots, to share enough yeah. rebounds, assists, and so forth that all three end up on, for instance, 2008 team, right? Like, uh, what, Brandon Rush's first team, Darnell Jackson was third team, and I'm not sure they had a single All American on that. Team. Yeah, was I know Mario they didn't Chalmers. have. A, I know they didn't have a first team All American. Yeah, so I mean, it, it wasn't like that team. Like you could have argued, 08 Kansas did have four of the best five, or maybe even the five best. Yeah, but they, they players just, in the conference. But you don't you don't do it that way. So they won't end up this way. But if that is an indication that they are three of the best six, even though it won't work out that way in terms of how we vote on awards. That is a great sign of things to come. Would you say, who are the other, Marcus Camp, and then who was the other non-KU player on first team? Oh, this year, so it was Marcus Carr and... Marcus uh, Carr, not Marcus Camp. Marcus Carr, Terrence Shannon, Terrence and Matthew Shannon. Meyer. Okay. Yeah. Um. So Meyer, Shannon, and Carr. Would you agree that if those three, let's say Remy Martin has the same minutes per game as those three, Mm-hmm. It, and maybe David McCormick, just because of the nature of the position, would you agree that if if those player, if if all three of those KU players play the same amount of minutes as the three non-KU players you just mentioned, it would be somewhat of a, it would probably be a sign of some disappointment of the of the depth. What I'm what I'm getting at is as I I hope I, I don't hope this because I dislike Ochai I think he's a great player. Um, but I think if, if minutes get taken away from him, that's not a bad thing. That means that other players are showing out yeah. and there are minutes to be had. Right. And, you know, we've seen you get, for you so get many years. You 200 minutes in a basketball Right. Game. And the one position where I'm, I don't know what to think about that is the point guard because how many years have we seen yeah. Bill Self play, you know, Frank Mason, Devontae Graham, 36, 37 minutes a game? Is and that that's happening the case? more and more. Right. Because his, for the longest time, his, his, uh, Point guard philosophy was whoever got it brought it. So it's just whoever gets the inbounds from the previous team's make brings the ball up the court. 
but that's you know that's changed a lot. Really, with Frank Mason, it started changing. Yeah. So will that be the case with Remy Martin, or could he play thirty minutes a game because you have other guys that can do it, like Joe Yesifu and Dewan Harris, and who knows if Bobby Pettiford or Kyle Cuff play at all? But and self um, self seems to be a like he's really good, and and the the quote he always gives is um uh I can't remember the exact quote, but it's basically if the pie is big enough, then nobody's complaining how big their piece is. Or something like if you're winning, the pie is big enough for everybody, or something yeah. like that. Um, but the the point is, he's really good. He and Calipari, and and there are other coaches. You know, great coaches are good salesmen as well. But Self is among the best, unsurprisingly, because he's one of the best coaches in the nation. But he's among the best at selling that concept to his players. That you know, look, yeah, you you may have you know. You're probably frustrated now that you're getting 20 minutes a game when for, you know, 350 other teams, you're talented enough to play 35 minutes, but you're only getting 20 or 25. He's really good at selling that idea to his players. And I, and I think there's something to that that he can point at it and say, look, we've had guys this, 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 and this year. These were their minutes. They were only 20-something minutes a game, and they still were lottery picks. So it's not taking your NBA potential away. Um, so he's, not only is he good sa- a good salesman at that concept, he's also got evidence to show that if what your plan is is to play in the league or have a chance to play in the league, just because you're playing 20, 25 minutes here, that doesn't mean that that's going to rip away your opportunities at the next level. Yeah, so I, I don't know how much the minute thing will affect Remy Martin. Like I said, Ochai played 34 minutes a game last year, 33 the year before. I kind of expect it to be lower than both those seasons this year, but not much lower. The the biggest guy who could get hurt by the lack of minutes for putting up totals is probably Dave because you're looking at um, having Cam Martin, who however long he plays, Mitch Lightfoot, Zach Clements, if they're going to give him any Clemens, run. Clements, I was trying to remember the kid from Sunrise Christian. It's not as if David McCormick is going to be a 30-minute guy. And I'm not saying he's going to be like 18 minutes or anything, but he's probably going to be in that 20 to 25 minute sweet uh, sweet spot, which it's going to be hard to make a first team. Like like I said, he could end up being one of the five best players in the Big 12, but just statistically, you're not going to be able to get all three of those guys on that list. And if they do, that's incredible. The only time that I've seen that stuff happen, like you have to be absolutely dominant. Gonzaga, and this is uh, Gonzaga dominating the West Coast Conference, where it is like, where it's not just we are by far the best team in the conference, it's we're one of the best teams in the nation, and the second best team in this conference isn't even top 25, and that won't happen with the Big 12. Uh, but I, I think a couple years ago they got four or all five was that 20, of the first-team members. I was, I was just going to ask, what was what did they have for first team when they went 17-1 and one in the conference? That was the, That was the team that missed the tournament. Udoka and Dotson were both on the first-team all-conference, but... Outside of that, the the next pick, I think Marcus Garrett was second or third, and Ochai was third. So that gives you an idea. They had two. They had two Big Twelve first teamers, and that was the most wins anybody's ever had in the history mm-hmm. of the Big Twelve conference. But also keep in mind, you did have a Baylor team that year, which you know was a top five team in the country. So that hurts yeah. your ability to get extra players on the first team. But, but still, I mean, KU as a team, KU dominated that conference. Yeah, they went seventeen and one. Their only loss was a Baylor was to Baylor at home. They turned around and beat Baylor in Waco. Now Baylor was probably toe to toe. I mean, I think KU was maybe a step ahead, but Baylor was a top five team. But that just, I mean, that that just to further the point that you just made, Derek. It's not you know 
you can't just look at the record and say, wow, they, they had as a team a great record within conference. You can, you know, just the amount of minutes that you have to go around. And, you know, if you're a KU fan, this is a great thing. Um, if you, you know, the amount of minutes you have to go around, you know, could just, you're, you're in a position where you're going to have, you know, the, the stats won't be there to say, yeah, he, he should be, you know, talent-wise, he probably is one of the five best players, but stats-wise, you know, this kid for Texas is putting up 28 points a game with more minutes, so we got to give him the nod. Yeah, and that's what will inevitably happen. So if they do end up having three of the top five players, don't worry about it at the end of the season. It'll be reflective more in the record and how the season goes. But if they anything. do, that's gonna they're going to be really good. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star joins the show in about 20 minutes. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star joins the show in about 15 minutes right now. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Players not practicing for the Chiefs today. This isn't great. Uh, Anthony Hitchens, Charvarius Ward, Blake Bell, and here's the big ones, Tyreek Hill, Chris Jones, and Joe Tooney. Now, Joe Tooney played through the injury on Sunday, fractured his hand, and still played as an offensive lineman. Chris Jones is out with a wrist. Tyreek Hill, a quad contusion from the game. I just kind of assumed. I was thinking the tendonitis. Yeah, it was the knee tendonitis from the offseason, and that not the case apparently, so it's well, something else. A contusion, as I understand it, I'm not a medical expert. As I understand it, a contusion is a bruise. Um, it's a deep bruise. It's not like a bruise when you bang your elbow against the table or something. I mean, it's a it's a tough you know, thing that you have to really is painful. Um, but I, I, as I understand it, that's, it's a, you know, it's painful, but I think could be something as I understand it could be something that doesn't necessarily get much worse if you play on. Um, but if he's in pain on his leg, he's not going to be in good. He's not gonna be able to do anything. Yeah. So that would be a big loss if he can't play. But I do think Tyreek is the type of player, you know, usually when you're injured, if you take the whole week, and of course it's only what it's uh, Wednesday, if you take the whole week uh, in an Andy Reid system, more often than not you're not playing Sunday. But that Tyree Kill feels like is feels like an exception, especially with a two and three ball team. That if he's able to come Sunday, it's not going to matter that he didn't practice this week. Mm-hmm. Did he practice Monday? Or I don't know. They would have the day off. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, that would be bad to miss any of those players for this game, which is quickly becoming a must-win for Kansas City over Washington. Uh, so, right now with where the Chiefs are, 2-3 and three on the year, how much of, of the blame for this start to the year? I know you can really divvy it out with the defense being terrible. They're the worst defense in the NFL with how the roster's been constructed, with missing on draft picks, overpaying certain players from Brett Veach with maybe not being as aggressive as you could on fourth downs, with maybe, I don't know, mismanaging certain situations, with Steve Spagnolo on defense, I don't know how much he gets to the blame, with playing certain guys or just, I don't know, just not being able to figure this out so far. 
So how much of the blame would you divvy out? Let's start with the coaching staff. How much are they to blame for what has gone on, I guess, versus the players versus Brett Veach? I'll put a little more uh, in in this order. I'll go Veach, coaching staff, players. Um, as far as percentage, I, I don't know. I, I, I do think it Matt like it, the amount of, of knowledgeable people who who talked about how much better Juan Thornhill in just watching it with their own eyes. If nothing else, how much more athletic Juan Thornhill is um, than Daniel Sorensen. He needs to be on the field. And and that's where that comes in with Steve Spagnuolo. One of Andy Reid's greatest strengths, and, and look, it's just as much on Reid too, because technically, you know, Andy Reid does like to run things in such a way that his defensive coordinator basically is the head coach of the defense. But he still has to report to Andy Reid, so it's on Reid too that he needs to go to Spagnolo and 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 either help him figure it out or lay, lay down some sort of gauntlet or ultimatum and say this is what we're going to do. But you know, one of Andy Reid's greatest strengths as an offensive play caller is finding ways to stay away from players' weaknesses. And if you know, Steve, if if Steve Spagnolo's scheme doesn't suit Juan Thornhill's weaknesses, then we clearly, even if Daniel Sorensen mentally can understand the 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 scheme, we've clearly seen physically he can't he can't execute it. So it's now on Spagnolo to um, to find a way to tweak his scheme to maximize what Juan Thornhill is capable of doing. Because at the very least, he's infinitely more athletic than Daniel Sorensen. So I start with the coaches, specifically Spagnolo and Andy Reid. Spagnolo because he's the defensive coordinator, Andy Reid because Spagnolo reports to him. Yeah, I don't I don't know what Juan Thornhill did, um, but like you just look at Pro Football Focus. This is a basic way of kind of just looking at things, but Daniel Sorensen, 35 overall grade. Juan Thornhill is almost double that on Pro Football Focus. And with Juan Thornhill, it's more limited snaps, so smaller sample size to take away from, but you're getting way more in the time that Juan Thornhill is playing than Daniel Sorensen. The issue with Daniel Sorensen wouldn't be an issue if he was a backup, right? It wouldn't be an issue if he wasn't being put on these islands of big plays, which he wouldn't be if he was a backup, if he was only on the field for situational times. He played the most snaps of anybody in that game. So I think there has to be some blame to Steve Spagnuolo for that. I don't think it's a Bob Sutton situation where it's, he just refuses to adjust with the plays he's calling and the scheme he's doing. So that's an improvement at the very least. But yeah, if let's say if they were getting their money's worth out of Chris Jones and Frank Clark, because you're paying both those guys to be, what, top 10 defensive linemen yeah. in the NFL? Yeah, and Frank Clark, I think, is dead last in his position on PFF. So if you were getting two, let's not even say they were top 10. Let's say if you were getting two top 30 defensive linemen in the NFL. Yeah. How much different is this defense? Because... Not only would, you know, the decision of, of Juan Thornhill, maybe it just wouldn't matter as much because you'd be getting more pressure. Yeah. And how much would that help the defensive backs? Yeah, and, and look, the secondary can only can only um, defend for so long, especially without holding. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's it's kind of like, you know, with uh, we talk about how quick a quarterback needs to get get the ball away. An offensive lineman can only block for so long. Eventually the quarterback has to either escape or get rid of the ball. 
same kind of concept. A defensive, I mean, a, a, a secondary player can only defend, whether it be a zone or a man coverage, can only defend their assignment for so long before other receivers. We see it all the time with Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. When you have a good rapport with your quarterback, you're great at improving when things break down. And, you know, the, the other teams have been the victim of that with the Chiefs offense for a long time. And now you're seeing it. The Chiefs are, you know, now look, the the long touchdown wasn't even a matter of not getting to the quarterback quick enough. That was just flat blown coverage. Uh, that the long touchdown, and, and everybody, of course, saw the picture of Terry and Matthew with his arms <laughs> in the air. And look, I'll be honest with you, I, I understand his frustration, but Matthew hasn't exactly been, an, you know, an all world player either. Um, but yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. I mean, how much. How much are we even talking about the Sorensen versus Juan Thornhill, you know, battle or whatever you want to call it, the the personnel decision? Um, how much are we even talking about that if, you know, Frank Clark is sitting here with four sacks or five sacks right. and, and Chris Jones has another four of his own? Yeah, so I, I do think there is some blame to be had for Steve Spagnuolo and there's some blame of whether that is Spagnuolo or Reed's decision to keep playing uh, Daniel Sorensen. I just think that yeah that defensive line is probably most to blame the individual players there at least from the defensive side of things I also think you know the offense does have at least some blame in the start because of the fact that they have turned the ball over so much if you weren't turning the ball over so much even despite as bad as the defense is you beat the Chargers and you beat the Ravens you'd be sitting at four and one right now even despite all of your faults on the defensive side of the ball so they do get some blame as well it's just not as much as the defense um but where does Brett Veach come in here um, I was actually just going to bring him up because think of how much, and I said this on Monday, Daniel Sorensen is what you get for $1.2 million against the cap in today's NFL. Daniel Sorensen is what you get for $1.2 million against the cap. And you don't have to have one, you know, you don't have to only spend that if you don't give Chris Jones the money. So, you know, it, it, the universal question is, would the Chiefs have been better off to spend $5 million on Chris Jones uh, or on a, you know, a, a guy to play the three technique, not Chris Jones because he would have gotten more, but on a lesser player, but then had $15 million more to divvy up amongst the rest of the defense. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that, that, and that's, and that's where Veach, look, this team, this, this, this front office has to quit. Like they have to start showing a willingness. One, Veach has to show a willingness to hold on to his draft picks. I would even prefer a willingness to trade down, but certainly stop trading up. And he also has to show a willingness to say goodbye to somebody that it hurts them to say goodbye to. That's what the Patriots have done for so many years with Tom Brady to to make sure they kept the cap down. And you're going to have fans pissed off in March when, when Tyran Matthew or in the case of Chris Jones, if Chris Jones signs with Indianapolis, and then you're going to have them pissed off again in October when Chris Jones comes in and sacks Patrick Mahomes on the other team, you could have gone, wow, oh, we could have had him. Why didn't we pay him? But in the long run, if you win Super Bowls, you know, it doesn't matter. And and it seems, at least if you want to follow the Patriot model, which they said the only non-expendable player we have is 12. In the case of the Chiefs, the only non-expendable player they have is 15 and maybe some receivers that you want to keep Patrick Mahomes happy. So you could say he's in, he's not expendable, and then he's got these receivers that he loves, so by proxy they're not expendable because we want to keep Mahomes happy. 
Other than that, you have to view every other player as expendable. And and that decision, look, if pe- I don't if people are angry come February or March that Matthew has just signed a 3-year deal in Detroit or somewhere or even with another good team. Let's say he signs with the Packers, or the Rams or the Cardinals or something. If, you know, I I won't be that upset. I'll be sitting there going, okay, you're probably missing one really good year of Matthew that I think they get out of him next year, but then you're just not paying for a 30-something-year-old after that. And that, I think, is, you know, Chris Jones, I would still have a problem with this deal if Chris Jones was getting his, but at least Chris Jones is only, like, 27. Yeah, I think the Matthew one's interesting because I, I can get on board with it. He's a leader of the defense in your secondary struggles, but it's more of an overwhelming conversation for me that you can't keep doing it, and you shouldn't have probably done it with Frank Clark and Chris Jones and all these guys, and, and now this is where you are. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star joins us next. Welcome in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. If you're just joining us with Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star joins us now on the show. The Big 12 awards came out today in the preseason. KU has three players on the first team all Big 12, or I guess it's just preseason all Big 12 for the the preseason edition. Uh, That would indicate that the thought is that they have three of the top six players in the conference this year. And we're having this conversation in the open that the likelihood of it finishing that way is very slim because – you just don't have the opportunity for all of them to put up the stats to get there. But how likely do you think it is that they do actually have three of the top five or six players in the conference, even if it doesn't end up being that all three of them make first team all big 12? Uh, probably unlikely. Um, it's a guessing game, right? You know, for all these coaches, you have to, Vote for five players, and obviously there was a tie in there somewhere to get that sixth person on the ballot. But if you just look at Kansas and Texas, um, Chris Beard and Bill Self kind of had the same offseason philosophy, right? Like they just hit the transfer portal, and once you thought they had enough pieces, they added like three or four more. So it's really tough to say, hey, who's Texas's best player going to be? Because right now you just don't even know how the rotation is going to shake out. I think you feel the same way about Kansas and. Right now, Kansas has some pieces that are just a little bit more well-known than Texas's pieces are because more of those guys are transfers and have been in different places. So, yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's fascinating. It's I didn't expect three Jayhawks to be on there, and you can go down further down the line. I mean, Baylor should have some really nice pieces on there. Uh, Texas Tech could emerge and, and pop up there. Oklahoma State has one of the most experienced teams. Oklahoma, you know, Porter Mosier. Uh, so, I, I think for the Big 12, uh, it's another one of those years where you, you look at it and you say, this is, is going to be a pretty difficult slate no matter what team you are. I mean, you're not going to get many nights off. And the fact of the matter is that the conference right now probably has about 15 to 20 players that if you told me that they would end the season on the first team of the Big 12, I wouldn't be too shocked. I think that right now you just don't know which, which players those guys are because of the different coaching staff, the different rotations. And, and right now, those coaches have some options, and we don't know which options they're going to pick at least at this point in time. Okay, so if I told you, uh, well, I guess we'll just play, you know, your favorite game that we do with you in the poll rankings. And I don't mean this from a a personal player perspective, because I want to make that clear with these terms we're about to use. I just mean from a, you know, making it to, I guess, a first team, second team versus third team or something like that. So we'll do Kiss, Mary Kill with David McCormick, Remy Martin, 
and uh, Ochai Baji on the first team All Big Twelve list at the end of the year. Yeah, so uh, I guess I'll kill <laughs> kill figuratively. Let's put that in the in there. Really, you know, make it very, right, very right. clear. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll start with Abaji. I'm, I've been surprised that he's been so high on these lists. To be honest with you, I saw one earlier this summer that you know had him uh, among the top players in the nation, and I get it that you know he decided to declare for pro and then come back. But I see him as a. I think he's a perfect third option. You know what I mean? I think he's a guy who's more comfortable in that sort of role. I think that's why he could help an NBA team right now. Is that that sort of three and D mentality is, is something a lot of teams need and. You saw back in 2020 when KU had Devon Dotson and KU had Yudo Gazabuki that Ochai really fit very nicely in that role. He didn't have to go create much. He didn't have to go do things out of uh, control for him. He just kind of stood in the corner and made threes and played great defense. And I could see him going back to that role with this particular team just because there are other guys out there. So I, I think I'm, I'm not less optimistic on Ochai as a player. I think he's a great player. I, I think he's a great player who fits best as a role player and will hit open threes and have a decent scoring average, but uh, potentially maybe doesn't hit those first-team marks like everybody else uh, might think. I mean, I guess I'll... Uh, so it's like I got Mary and I've got... Uh, <laughs> You're marrying got, the candidacy for Big 12 player, the or Big 12 um, first team. There you go. Listen, maybe, maybe this is me going out on a limb too much. I, I'll marry Remy because I just think that the point guard of Kansas... And this is not something you'd say 10 years ago, right? We'd always say, hey, who's the five-man at Kansas? Who's mm-hmm. the four-man? You know, who's the power forward? But look recently, I mean, if you have a player who is talented and the point guard at Kansas, they will put up stats, they will get national honors, they will get national attention. And so I know there's been probably some hiccups for Remy to start off this K career. You know, he got here late in August. He's battled the ankle injury. They don't really know what they're getting yet. Bill Self seems to be trying to motivate him by talking up Dewan Harris. So that one's a little bit shaky, but I, I just come back to the dude. I averaged 19 points per game at Arizona State two straight years, and now he's a point guard at Kansas and has all these options around him and should have great points per game and assists per game numbers. So I think he's going to be just fine. I, I guess I'll put those my eggs in that basket just to think that everything's going to turn out okay and that KU will find a way to make it work with a really talented player there. I guess that means I'll kiss figuratively uh, David McCormick just because if you believe in the first half of the season last year, you would think, he's probably not going to make it. But if you believe in the second half of the season, you would say, yeah, it's probably pretty close to Sam Duncan. He should end the season with really good numbers and be one of the cogs of KU's offense that uh, led them to what was a very good finish before the NCAA tournament and all the COVID stuff they battled there. So I guess that would be the uh, the directions I'd lean on those three guys. But again, you can make interesting cases for all of them. I, I just think that uh, probably Remy and Dave would be the ones I would trust the most just because I think their roles would be more set in stone. Okay, so what would have to go right? Like, how what what would that season look like where KU did end up with three first team All Big Twelve picks? Like, would they have to be undefeated? How how would that even happen? Well, you probably they probably have to have some injuries, right? I mean, to to get these stats, we always go back and talk about the 2018, and I think it was the media poll. One of the polls had two players on All Big Twelve first team. The other one had zero from Kansas. I know Bill Self references that a lot, but they had so many good players that they kind of all split the vote, right? I mean, you had Mario Chalmers, you had Darrell Arthur, you had Darnell Jackson, you had Sasha Khan. I mean, all those guys kind of split it amongst themselves, and so it was hard for them to vote. So 
Um, you know, maybe the best thing for Kansas is that all these guys play well and split time and they get nobody on the first team, but yet they're just winning a ton of games like the 2008 team did. But um, right now there's just a lot of mouth to feed. And we know these awards a lot of times come down to guys who score points and get assists and have good averages. And, you know, there's other mouths to feed. There's Jalen Wilson, there's Christian Brown, there's Jalen Coleman-Land, there's Joseph Jefferson. I mean, there's Cam Martin. So, um, unfortunately for Kansas, you know, the way to, to have inflated numbers for the top three guys is to, have it so your fourth and fifth options aren't doing as much. And for Kansas this particular year, for that to happen, they probably need something to go bad or something to go wrong or a player to take a step back, and, and that wouldn't be an ideal scenario um, if you're looking at it from the outside. So, um, yeah, it's, it's again, these are things, fun things to talk about and fun awards to get if they get them, but um, that's not the bottom line. And, and you know how Bill Self does this. He always talks about, hey, the the pie is big enough for everybody if you win games, and so he'll preach that this year, and he'll be just he'll be just fine if KU remains top five throughout the whole season and has a bunch of guys that average nine or ten points a game and, and don't win a bunch of postseason honors because KU's gonna be racking up the wins. They'll be a one seed again and they'll have a great shot in the NCAA tournament, and all those things uh, will be positives for the team even if the postseason awards don't come along after that. Talking with Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star, I do want to talk some football with you, Jesse. Um, how much do you view what Michigan State has done where they're a top 10 team right now and Scott Aligo brought in a bunch of, I think it was 16 players up the transfer portal last year. KU now has Scott Aligo. Does that, looking at what Michigan State did, is that enough proof that maybe there are going to be some candidates each and every year of schools that have massive turnarounds just from using the transfer portal and how this could kind of lead to, to maybe an avenue that KU would want to go down? Yeah, so I think I think we all, to start the discussion, it's a good question, Derek. I think we need to take a step back first because I'm going to predict what's going to happen and I'm going to predict the freakout that's going to happen after this happens, okay? <laughs> okay. Um, for Kansas, what have fans heard for so long, last five, six, seven years, why can't they compete? They aren't up against the 85 scholarship limit number, right? I mean, we've heard that over and over. It's, it's been repeated. This is why they can't compete. This is why they can't get there. All those sorts of things, okay? And that was true. And that's what David Beatty faced. It's what Les Miles faced. And we all, and I still do credit Les Miles for biting the bullet, taking 25 freshmen in each of his two classes, trying to rebuild the thing the right way and pay for the sins of previous coaches and previous administrations who tried to take shortcuts. So the thing about it is because Les Miles did that, and because COVID happened, and, and nobody wants a national a, a pandemic, a worldwide pandemic, but um, this would have been more convenient for Kansas if that happened like five years ago, because a bunch of these players get free years now. You know, you can have these guys come back next year, because that's happening, and now they have this four-game redshirt rule, where you potentially can redshirt more players and, and keep your classes balanced in that way. Kansas is about to hit a point here that they haven't had in a long, long time, which is a, a huge positive, which is they need to more balance their classes rather than butt up against 85. I mean, they need, to, they need to get things sort of in line so that they're not having big peaks and valleys. But, but what I'm telling you is they're close to 85. Like, they're close to getting rid of that stigma, that big mountain they were trying to climb for so long that they couldn't get, about, get out of because of NCAA rules. And again, Part of that's because of less miles, part of that's because of the pandemic, part of that's because of other stuff. But what that means is that this offseason, you're probably going to see them go to the Juco Rack. You're probably going to see them take some transfers. You're probably going to see them not go to many more high school players than the guys they've got signed right now. Now, listen, the 2023 class, it is loaded with local kids. 
And KU is pursuing those guys heavily, and it makes sense because they've had an extra year to recruit them because they got in late. But I predict that when 2022 happens and you see on the signing class a bunch of JUCO players, you're going to have a lot of KU fans kind of have that PTSD and say, uh, uh, what's going on here? Can't do this. Can't take the shortcuts. Can't. This is what previous coaches did. This is how it went down the drain. Let's start panicking already. The reality of the situation is that's not what they're facing. And so for Kansas, it's the opposite. And I'll, I'll wrap this up. I am a long talker. But for, for Kansas football, it's different. It's the exact opposite from Kansas basketball, right? Bill Self decided, I want to go take the best player from Drake, and I want to go take the best player from Arizona State, and I want to go take the best player from Iowa State, and I'm going to add them to my roster this year. They're going to play this year. It's going to be awesome. That's nice when you're at the top of the food chain, right? Potentially for Kansas, they've got to go and look at the non-Power 5 schools, um, Buffalo, North Texas, some of their best players, Jason Bean, Rich Miller, Trevor Wilson, came from that route this year, and they got to say, hey, look, these guys work out at Kansas. Here's where you're going to get resources. Here's where you're going to get taken care of. Here's where you're going to get um, you know, developed for the next level. Here's where you can look at previous Buffalo players under a light bulb that went on and, and, and made themselves money at the next level. And here's the place you can do it with resources, and you can prove yourself at a higher level. And so they've got to have a mixed approach. And you can't just go high school. You can't just go local. You can't just go JUCO. But, but they're going to have to take – all the benefits they can from all those places. So I predict that this offseason is going to be a lot of different players coming from a lot of different places, including some up transfers, which KU definitely has to go for. Uh, but, again, it, it needs to be met with the right amount of um, understanding of where KU's scholarship situation is because Lance Leipold took this job because it's in a better spot than the two previous coaches before him, and that's a good place for KU football to be when it comes to the landscape moving forward because, uh, again, the transfer portal changes a lot of things. It's definitely going to change some things for Kansas. All right, so KU takes on Texas Tech this week um, before they dive into the, the transfer portal and stuff in the offseason. Uh, 16 and a half, I think, was the point spread that I last saw in this game. I know we mentioned when KU was taking on Baylor, how it's hard to ignore the series history, how Baylor has just kind of wiped the floor with KU and not take that into account of how you view the game. We have kind of the opposite of that here with Texas Tech over the last two, KU winning two years ago, KU only losing by three last season. How does that impact the way you view this and KU getting 16 and a half points? Yeah, you can look at it two different ways. You mentioned it. Uh, for whatever reason, sometimes there's just matchups. You know, that uh, KU plays a certain team. Uh, Baylor's the one that KU just can't compete with. Whatever year it is, whatever the point spread, they just get blown out by Baylor. And certain years, uh, a few years back, it was TCU. KU always competed well with TCU, whatever the reason was. And, yeah, the, the recent one has been Texas Tech. So that's encouraging. Um, I think it's encouraging for Kansas that when KU has faced a bad defense in Duke, they took advantage and they scored a bunch of points and got a bunch of yards. And Texas Tech, if we're just being honest, this a bad defense, so uh, that has to be encouraging for Kansas, especially coming off a of bye week. However, um, having said all that, and I'll go ahead and quiz you right here on the air, Derek. Um, this season, last season, KU's played 14 games. Do you want to tell me their record against the spread in those 14 games? Oh, no. Um, I know they're 0 for this year. I don't know. Let's 2-12? and 12? Yeah, 1-12-1. and 1. Oh, man. So, um, and, and, but... You know, you just mentioned the highlight of it, which is that one, circle that big one. Who? What's that one game that they covered? Texas that was Tech. Texas Tech, last, that was Texas Tech <laughs> last year. So if you're, again, are you pessimistic? Are you optimistic? Is the glass half empty? Is it half full? Um, whichever your opinion is, that's what you can look at this game with. But uh, like I said, uh, we just want to know what Kansas is at this point. You know, their, their offense is 
can compete against certain defenses, and you would think that Texas Tech pro- provides one of those opportunities. And the defense has just it, it's struggled right now, and they're probably in need of uh, a year fast forward to get my guys more developed, uh, more t- more guys into the program, and to, uh, to have their schemes more in place. So um, could be a lot of points on Saturday, but uh, we'll see if the Jazz can fare better than they have over the course of this season against the spread, and then obviously over the course of the last two as well. All right, it's time for one last thing with Adam. Jesse, one last thing. All right, I can make you the GM of an NBA franchise with full control. Run it how you want. We know you're big into the analytics. You can build your own uh, analytics department. You can have that job, or you continue working in the media, but mainstream basketball adopts the Elam ending. Which do you choose? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, one is definitely more profitable than the other. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say. I, I mean, I love the Elam ending, but I think I would love my life more if I was uh, the head of an NBA franchise because I'm probably a little bit more rich, right? Or uh, or at least making a little bit consider. better paycheck. But you'd also be having. You work, well, I don't know. You're working 20 hours a day that way. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you. I'm sure you know the occasional comment section on the occasional article or your occasional rankings is really no different than some of the if your team loses a couple in a row that you would get there, right? Probably about the same, but yeah, even if you get fired, you were at the head of it once. Yeah. It's going on, you're getting a Wikipedia page and it's going up there. Now, I think I'm taking over the franchise. Uh, well, I congratulations take, on the new oh, gig, then. <laughs> yeah, all those things with it. And I honestly just wouldn't be shocked if while I was taking over that franchise, if the Elam ending wiggles its way into the mm. NBA, whether it's through overtime anyway. So I might get the best of both worlds. There we go. He's a man who will have his cake and eat it too. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star joining us here on a Wednesday. Jesse, thank you so much for the time as always, man. All right, appreciate it. Four o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 at 1320 KLWN. In about 15, 20 minutes, Craig Hershiser will stop by in studio, talk some high school football with us a couple weeks away from the city showdown. We've also got to get to our hypothetical of the week coming up later this hour. This isn't quite hypothetical of the week, but I, I am interested in something. I was thinking about this today. Chiefs are obviously two and three right now. Patrick Mahomes has the number one QBR in the NFL. And, you know, if you polled most people, except for, I guess, Jimmy Johnson and Michael Strahan, they would tell you, yes, Patrick Mahomes is still the best quarterback in the NFL. So what would happen if the Chiefs didn't have the best quarterback in the NFL? And I want to kind of look at this at different like levels of things. Of if this other guy was the Chiefs quarterback, where would they be right now if they're two and three with the best quarterback in the NFL against a tough schedule, albeit? Let's let's say like Alex Smith, who was notorious for basically being like a league average quarterback, right? Basically middle of the pack. If Alex Smith was still the Chiefs quarterback, and I'm not talking about Alex Smith now, I'm talking about you know, Alex Smith, when he was with the Chiefs, you just transport that guy here, a pre-injury to his leg. Whoa, whoa, I don't know. Like, how, how bad would this be right now? Well, um, Alex Smith, you, you could argue, I mean, the, my immediate thought is, well, would Art, would, would Alex Smith have, have thrown that often, or that, um, that interception against the Ravens? Mm-hmm. No, but I don't think the Chiefs are up 35-24 against the Ravens. Had and and you know and this team, part of me thinks that they would be using Clyde Edwards-Helaire a lot more. Um, but the offensive line has a lot to say about how well your running game is. Um, I I don't think they'd be better in two and three. 
and I could sit here and tell you they what was their oh the Browns game I They'd mean probably I, lose that yeah you know it, because they had to come back that's mm-hmm. the biggest thing is Alex Smith did he ever come back well uh, against the Chargers. Like I think it was 2016 or 2015. Yeah, the overtime. Yeah, the rushing yeah, touchdown. Yeah, they mm-hmm. came back, but a, a double-digit deficit was was often a death sentence when Alex Smith was the quarterback. So they're probably losing to the Browns. And so yeah, I think it's. I think I would say because Philadelphia's. I mean, look, look, Philadelphia scored a ton, <laughs> but Philadelphia's so bad, man. I yeah. I, th- I think even as bad as this defense is, I think there's something to be said about. The defense of the Eagles allows you to run whatever kind of offense you want. So Andy Reid with Alex Smith could have put together a, um, you know, some kind of ground and pound, control the ball to where the Eagles don't score 32 or 30. And, and look, that last touchdown was an, oh, by the way, garbage time touchdown mm-hmm. anyway. So I, I would say the Chiefs, they don't score 40-something. It's not 42 to 34 or whatever that final score was. It's... um you know, like 27 to 20 or something. But I still, I think they're one in four. Yeah, the defense would look better in terms of on paper at points per game, but they would be no better. It's just that there would be less possessions because you would be playing a, I don't know, a lower possession game with Alex Smith in a possession offense, and you would just have less explosive plays down the field. I, I think you're right. You lose the Browns game. I don't know. Like I, I still probably pick them to win that Eagles game. But again, you're saying, okay, we're we would be in a game where we forced zero punts, and Alex Smith is our quarterback. Can you win that game? I, th- I think they could, but because you still stopped them to field goals, so it's not as if they got a touchdown every drive. So I think you're right. One and four is probably the record. I don't know. Maybe they can beat the Chargers because they'd have less turnovers. But yeah, that's that's what's crazy. If they had even a league average quarterback, you're talking about a team that went to back to back Super Bowls won a Super Bowl two years ago, and if they didn't have the best quarterback in the NFL, if they just had an average quarterback, which I get how important quarterback is, but they'd be one and four right now. And I think if you went even further down the list, and I don't know, pick, you know, the worst quarterback in the NFL you can think of. I don't know, uh, Andy Dalton. If you had to pick Andy Dalton and put Andy Dalton on the Chiefs, Andy Dalton got benched for the Bears for Justin Fields, who has been very hit or miss so far this year. If Andy Dalton's the quarterback, is this team 0-5? Yeah, I think the only saving grace would be that um, the amount of quarterbacks who have had their best years under Andy Reid. So yeah, the, Andy, the Andy Dalton you got in, in Chicago earlier this year or the Andy Dalton you got last year when he had to come in to replace um, Dak Prescott, he would be better, a better version of Andy Dalton. But, I, again, the, at best they're 1-4, and, and and I don't even know if they're that. I, I just... I kind of go back to how bad the Eagles are, and I still feel that way about Alex Smith. Like my primary argument for why this team is one and four, even if it's Alex Smith instead of Patrick Mahomes, is how bad the Philadelphia Eagles are. Uh, but you know, know what's funny? The Eagles are two and three. So if you'd be one and four, yeah, they'd you'd have be, a worse record. Yeah, they'd be a game ahead of you. That's crazy. I I don't know. I just I don't know. I mean, I just I I think. Um, I think what you know, Mahomes' ability to come back is is tied to some of the interceptions he throws. Now, look that that Ravens interception was inexcusable. That was a terrible throw. Uh, it was in a, a terrible moment to make it. I'm fine with that throw. It's almost like the Baker Mayfield throw uh, that that he made late when they're driving against the Chiefs. 
I'm fine if you're in desperation mode and it's third down, you know, and, and you just throw something out third or fourth down and you just throw something out there because you have to. That's that's a fine throw. And look, Alex Smith was never was never prone to make throws throws like that. He would always just it could be fourth and eight, and it's either throw it for an interception or you know scramble and maybe get six. But it doesn't matter either way. You're losing the game. The problem with the Mahomes interception against the Ravens that it happened when the Chiefs were up 35-24 when he should have tucked it and just taken the sack in that situation. Um, but that doesn't matter. They, they lose that game. I think they lose it with Alex Smith. Um, and I think they're, yeah, I think they're 1-4. and four. And I also think it's worth noting, you know, the sample size you have of Patrick Mahomes is, is much more the good than the bad. I mean, good, look, we were talking about 60 touchdowns last week. I don't think anybody thought it was going to happen, but he was still, as of last week, he was at, he was on pace for 59 and a half touchdowns. Um, I'm, you know, he's he's still, if he's not the best quarter, you know, and I'm, I'm not even talking about opinion, quarterback rating or quarterback efficiency. If he's not number one right now, he's top three, isn't he? I know he's number one in total QBR, which adjusts it based on the situation and stuff. So he's, I mean, <laughs> he's, you know, they, he still it, is leading the league in touchdown passes. By the way, and and that I mean, I'm telling you that that just I, and the reason I, at least it seems to me the reason they're having the, we're we're having this conversation conversation is less to celebrate Patrick Mahomes. We can't say anything more about Patrick Mahomes than has already been said. Everybody knows he's great. It's just how bad this defense is, and and you know, yeah, it's been, you know, it's. I don't know how to, it's just, it's terrible. It's, it's, I mean, we said, I don't know if we said it on the air or off the air on Monday, but every, every offense that is facing this defense is better than the greatest show on turf Rams. So Patrick Mahomes right now, even after that game against the bills is on pace for 54 point, like three touchdown passes. So round down 54 which the NFL record is 55. So one above that in 2013 from Peyton Manning. That means that as of right now, the Chiefs are on pace to have their quarterback have one of the, the basically the second most prolific passing touchdown season in NFL history. And let me remind you, a the better, point of the game. A better season, mind you, than Patrick Mahomes had the year he won the MVP. Uh, by touchdown passes, yeah, yes, by, just uh, not yeah. the interceptions. Uh, let me remind you, the point of the game is to score points and have more points than the other team. So by scoring more touchdowns, you should be more successful. Despite that, they have a losing record right now. That's incredible. I do. I mean, I still, I think you put one of those losses on Patrick Mahomes mm-hmm. because that was such a bad interception against the Ravens. But still, you, but then you're looking at it and going, they're three and two, which means they're not, you know, even if they're three and two, you could sit there and say they're having, you know, they have a quarterback on pace for one of the greatest touchdown seasons ever. And they're still a game back in their division, and they still have just a meh record. I mean, you know, it, that's just how bad this defense has been. Yeah, it's been, it's been. You know, in, in 2018, it was, it was terrible. But wasn't that team undefeated through September? Ah. Uh... I can't remember if they lost early or not, but the point I their being, first loss was the Rams. I mean, they jumped out to be the front runner in the AFC for getting the one seed. Yeah, right. Um, and they're now they're they're scratch. They're going to have to scratch and claw to get a playoff a playoff spot. Yeah, 
No, it's incredible. I mean, you're literally talking about because there's levels here. There is the level of this is the worst defense in the NFL, which it is by points allowed per game. Um, they are 32nd in the NFL, giving up 32 and a half points per game. They're 31st in the NFL in yards allowed per game at 437. And it's just the nature of how they're doing it. I mean, it's just so easy each and every time for the opposing team. You look at like yards allowed per play. They're giving up 7.1 yards per play. The worst defense in the NFL last year, the Jaguars and Lions at 6.3. You're giving up an extra yard per play over a Jaguars team that went 1-15. That's why this is happening. So I, I don't know what to think because I, I have a list here in front of me with teams that started 2-3 and three that went on to make or win the Super Bowl. And it's not a long list. It's only three teams. All of them have happened in the 16-game schedule, which probably makes sense because you have more time to recover from your mistakes. And maybe and that I, makes... I, I think there were more playoff teams also. And, and maybe that makes this even better for the Chiefs to do it because of that, because you have an extra playoff team to where it already was, and you have even an extra game after that with Week 17. So from that standpoint, maybe it's different. And Although history... to be technical in the case of this year, their, their extra game is actually the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, which isn't great. <laughs> but history is till it isn't sometimes. Yeah. You know, you have streaks that, that end and you just goes kaput. Um, but here's the three teams. 1985 Patriots started two and three. They went to the Super Bowl. Uh, 1980 Raiders won the Super Bowl after starting two and three. 2001 Patriots started two and three and ended up winning the Super Bowl. What's funny is all three of those teams actually ended the regular season at 11 and five. So for the Chiefs, I don't know what the equivalent to that would be. I guess eleven and six. I don't know. Um, side note: that two thousand one Patriots team. I, I don't know why this caught my eye. They had a bye week in week sixteen. What's up with that? I can't remember the exact year that they decided. Uh, on, it, well, in the first place, in two thousand one, that was that was before the uh, Texans came around. So there were only thirty one NFL teams. And I'm why trying, do they have bye so late? No, I'm trying to think. They there used to be bye weeks. I don't think anybody ever had a bye week week one, but I think they started the bye weeks in like week two. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I remember it being. I can't remember exactly when it happened, but it was a big story when the NFL said nobody gets a bye week before week five or after week thirteen. So you know what's one thing as I'm looking at those teams that's a commonality be, besides the fact that they all finished 11 and 5 it's that despite the bad starts they were teams that forced a lot of turnovers Patriots were third in the NFL in turnovers forced that year Raiders were first they forced 52 turnovers and the Patriots were eighth they forced 35 Can you pull up uh if if you can I if it's not readily accessible, don't worry about it. But what about what what was the turnover ranking for that 2015 Chiefs team that started one and five and wound up they didn't go to the Super Bowl, but they won a playoff game. I'll pull that up. But out of comparison, this year's Chiefs team is bad. Is 22nd. It's actually not as bad as some of the other well, stats comparatively. But because of the fact that you're so bad at you know everything else. You need to be good at turnovers. You need to have some of that go your way. Uh, the 2015 team was fifth. They forced 29 turnovers. The other irritating thing with the Chiefs when it comes to offense and how they're in these turnovers, and, and one of them is with special teams, the, Byron, or, um, the Pringle uh, fumble, 
they're all so you know the two of those were you know the 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 Clyde Edwards Alaire fumble into the game against the Ravens um the pick that was way more on Tyreek Hill than Patrick Mahomes that went was was pick six that that resulted in points and the Pringle fumble was deep in the in their in the Chiefs territory and that resulted in points so not only are you giving the ball away, you're doing an okay job, but not a great job of taking the ball away. You're 22nd. Uh, you're when you're giving the ball away, you're doing it in super crucial situations. Yeah, and and to be clear, I'm talking about turnovers taken. Yeah, I know. By the I'm defense just, here. Um, so I don't know. Maybe that's the avenue to getting this thing turned around. Would it surprise anyone if the Chiefs all of a sudden hit a hot streak with? This offense and Patrick Mahomes, absolutely not. We talked the other day. What if the Chiefs turn this around and win the Super Bowl? And I think you, you and I both agreed. How do they do it? Do they do it because this defense clicks and finds a way to turn it on and becoming, you know, not great but serviceable, or is it this this um, offense, you know, fixes the turnover problem and continues their scoring pace? What's more likely? Mm-hmm. And I think both of us said it, it would be the the offense getting fixed. Yep, and coincidentally, that 1980 Raiders team didn't really have a good defense. They were explosive on offense. They forced a lot of turnovers. The Patriots teams, those are a little bit different, but it is possible. Three teams have done it, like starting two and three, so it's definitely possible. It just hasn't happened a whole ton, and at the end of the day, it's not going to come down to what those teams in the past did because this Chiefs team is different. The schedule is different. The amount of playoff teams are different. The division is tough, but it's definitely possible if the defense can actually play like a regular NFL defense. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. About a quarter till five, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Uh, By the way, later tonight, programming note, 6 o'clock, Hawk Talk for you here with Lance Leipold and Brian Haney. Again, at 6 o'clock, you can hear it both here and on our sister station, 105.9 KISS. All right, so we got a hypothetical of the week where we just come up with some silly notion and give you a couple options. We'll put this up on our poll on Twitter. It's at RCST1320. We'll put it up after we discuss it here. Here's the hypothetical for this week. If someone gave you $1 million cash, bring it in a duffel bag, and they show it to you. After taxes, mind you. You don't have to pay taxes. Yeah, you don't have to pay taxes. I I mean, you don't want to get arrested so by, it's one you know, point. It's one point sure. whatever million. Right. It's, it's an amount that your taxes get paid, and, then it'll and be you have a million one. bucks left over. Yes. But all of your sports teams... And and I'm not going to say all all of them. Like if you pick your top, you know, four. yeah, because I, I don't really care as much about your seventh favorite sports team. Like if I don't know, I'm trying. Like if uh, the Royals AAA team lost every yeah. game, right? Like you want the Royals AAA team to do good, but you're not sitting there as a devoted fan every yeah, game. Just so. just the teams that you really yes, their wins make you really really happy, and their losses upset right. you. So for me, it would be like the Chiefs. KU, um, football, basketball, and the Giants. And I I think that would be like the main ones, right? Um, but they lose 
all of those teams have to lose every single game they play in for a full calendar year. Now, you can pick when that full calendar year starts. So you can say from October of this year to October of next year, you can just say from January to December of a full year. And not only that, you have to watch every single second of the game. Now, I'm not saying you got to be sitting there full-on attention you can get on your phone every now and then. You can talk with a friend while you're watching it, but you can't just like you, have, you have it on in have, the background. You have to have butt in seat yes. with your eyes on the TV Correct. for most of it. Correct. Now, obviously, to execute this, we got to have the bringing back the men in black, you know, uh, you don't know mind you're getting them. You can't sit yeah. there going, well, you know, my base, it's July and we're, mm-hmm. we just went 0 and 100. Yeah. So you make but I'm a, getting a million bucks. You make, you know. You don't know you're making that money. No, you, you forget after you agree to it. And then at the end of the season when all that stuff happens, the guy comes back and he gives you a million dollars. Would you do it? Unequivocally, yes. Unequivocally? Um, yes. Um, my only, Really, my only true concern is that word gets out that I agreed to such a deal and that all of the people mm. who are fired as a result of not winning a game then come after me. That's my only true concern. Well, people are definitely going to question in the aftermath, like, how did you get a million dollars? Now, gonna, it's my... I don't know how you're going to explain it. My, um, I yeah, I could just say I, I won some crazy... I bet the under on all my teams to <laughs> parlay. Um, I mean, I, I would say I'm trying to... The most difficult for would, would be either the Chiefs or KU men's basketball. My four teams w- would be the Chiefs, KU football, KU men's basketball, and um, the Royals. And the Royals I've seen be terrible, although 0-162 would be incredible. Like, they, at least at the very least, like, you know, when the Royals were going 56 and 106, no one was talking about them. Your baseball team goes 0-162. They're getting discussed a lot. Yeah, but honestly, is there that big of a difference from a baseball season in watching a 50-win team to a zero, like either way, you're out of it after the first month. Yeah, you don't care, right? Um, you're, you know, and it's all—it's almost one of those things where you're at a point where you're hoping you lose because you want the the number one overall pick in the next year's draft. Although it's somewhat different because in baseball, if you have the number one overall draft pick, you're still not seeing them for another two or three years. Um, but yeah, I, I would say 100%. Yes, it would be, um, the most difficult because. I've grown to have major expectations with the Chiefs and with um, KU men's basketball. Yeah, imagine going into a season where you're like, man, I think we could win it all this year. And you go 0-30. <laughs> oh, he's so brutal. Or or if, you know, if you pick to go from, you know, January to December, mm-hmm. then you go 0-18 in conference play, then lose your one uh, Big 12 tournament game, and then you turn around the next season. That's the problem. I would have to start it in October. I would have to mm. start it in October because then I could just deal. Because the next year, if you go your entire non-con mm-hmm. without winning a game, you're missing the tournament. That's two years in a row you're missing the tournament. I would almost rather go winless for a full KU basketball season from October through March. Go winless, miss the tournament, count on Bill Self to go, well, <laughs> well that wasn't great. 12 grad transfers. That was, yeah. not, that was not great, but we're, uh, we're going to get it fixed. <laughs> So, so uh, we were terrible, but uh, we've got a fan who's got a million bucks now, so that's great. <laughs> um, 
But I don't think he would think that way. That's I think he would point. think, well, screw you for doing I, that. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to come after him. That wasn't great. <laughs> I'm going to take his money. Yeah. Um, he cost me so much in bonuses. But anyway, that's my terrible Bill Self impression. If you're lucky, you'll only hear it once a year. Um, but no, I I mean, I'm just a million dollars, man. And I, I do like, Derek came up with this question. I told him before the show, I love that you said it at a million dollars because that's an amount that if you're not careful, you can blow. Like, yes. you can't blow a hundred, well, I suppose you can blow a hundred million dollars, but, you know, there are so many ways, like, you probably still have to have some source of income if you are, you know, if you have a million bucks just sitting around. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's a great amount of money. It's a life-changing amount of money. It, it really changes how you can view your income. But, you know, when you're in your 20s or, in my case, early 30s, a million dollars is, you know, is great, but it's still something that you can lose in, before you're at retirement age. But I would still say yes. What would you say? I think I would say the, the – <laughs> The thing that I don't want to discount is that you have to watch every single second and you don't know this is happening. Your mind has been erased to the fact yeah. of why this is happening. So you're <laughs> so you're not going to think that I'm getting I'm getting a million no. dollars at the end of the you're going to think you've angered the Lord. You, yeah, you're going to be like what did I do wrong? What have I done? Who have I angered? Why? Because it's just your team. Right. <laughs> especially every for you. one of them. Like, Derek, especially for you, because there are a lot of people who are Royals, Chiefs, and yeah. KU fans. No, I You're probably like, the oh, yeah. only Royals, Chiefs, San Francisco Giants fan. Right. So when you go through this winless span and you go, wow, all my Kansas City local teams did terrible. Oh, God, it's happening to the Giants, too. <laughs> I, I just would be so, like, honestly, you know how depressing it would be? Like I'm, I'm not joking because if you figure, let's say, 162 days where you have a baseball game, basically, and then you figure there's days where you don't have crossover between baseball and and uh, the NFL, you're probably only missing. Yeah, once I don't know, you, once days. you get in the fall, you basically get two days a week mm-hmm. because you got baseball on Saturday and Sunday. Well, but here's what I'm saying: you have 162 games there. You have another. 30, whatever, 32, 33 for basketball, for KU basketball. You have another 12 for KU football. You have another, um, you know, 17 for the NFL. You're over 200 days now where you're upset I'm gonna with your add, team losing. I'm going to add another. It, we're not just talking about, I, I said, boy, it would be easier. It would be more difficult for the Chiefs and KU men's basketball because they usually have title aspirations. Mm-hmm. I'm going to add a caveat to this, Derek. Every one of these teams has legitimate title aspirations going into their respective <laughs> so now, seasons. So KU has gotten so to a K, point under KU Lance Leipold. football Leipel. where they like, uh, wow, they, they're top yeah. five coming uh-huh. into the season. It's a, It'd be like if Iowa State this year went 0-12. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so brutal. I, I don't think I could do it. I mean, it, let me tell you, it was bad. It was, it was really difficult being a KU fan in 09 when when the team started, mm. they were coming off a, a an eight and five, and that's season. one team half yeah. a season. Eight and five the year before they come in the year. I think they started the year ranked twenty fourth or twenty fifth. They're five and zero. Oh, they climbed to as high as thirteenth, and then they didn't win a game the rest of the year. That was tough, man. To come into a year with expectations is, and then not, and then you know, like still do decent. Think about the KU team that was. Ranked number one in the country, Udoka Azubuki gets injured, and they wind up as that four seed that gets trucked by Auburn. Mm-hmm. 
Like, that's still a difficult season to deal with. Can you imagine coming in with title (laughs) hopes and not winning a game? I just... Million bucks. I couldn't do it because it's too depressing to me. And, like, afterwards... Derek's wife is a pharmacist, I need to note. Yeah, maybe that does impact (laughs) it. I don't know. But, like, I just... Sports is such a big part of my life, and... If you have a million dollars, you imagine and how much more difficult fan, our jobs would be. Oh my gosh, I don't even want to think about that. What would I talk about yeah. every day? Um, if if you had a million dollars as a sports fan, you're going to want to spend a good amount of that money in something related with sports, right? You're probably going to want to get I don't know season tickets to KU basketball. I've got an extra million dollars, Chiefs, and, right? Yeah, and then well, you want me to go pay for a suite to watch that turn? No, that just went out you're not going to want to. And you know how you know how like. You honestly, after a year of watching all of your teams not win a single game and having to watch every second, you might honestly just say, I'm not watching sports anymore. Yeah. I mean, I I would, yeah. I mean, you'd change your mind once the men in black came back to you and said, hey, by the way, this is the deal. Here's your million dollars. I think what has to happen is at the end, they just tell you, hey, you win a million dollars. You don't know why you've got. Yeah. So you don't know why you got no million dollars. You just are like, oh, well, I've had a terrible year, so this is nice. Okay. (laughs) You know? Oh, man. I I will say, at some point, you would get dull to the experience to where, like, you know, once the Royals are, or for me, the Giants, are 0-30, it's not even that much. It's like 0-15. Or once the Chiefs are, like, 0-7. You're you're just just, hoping for the first round, the the number one overall Yeah, exactly. So at that point, like, but the problem is, it's so easy, like in baseball. If if the Royals started 0-40, nobody would just watch. Everybody yeah. would just be like, all right, we'll just skip the season. We'll hope they'll be better next year. But we'll you're just the only watching. one sitting you there tweeting and watching. watching. He just threw his marker at me. <laughs> I'm so upset about this. <laughs> we have 17 early votes. You can vote, too. It's at RCST1320. If you were handed a million dollars, but all of your favorite sports teams would have to lose every game for calendar year, and you had to watch every second, would you do it? 88% saying yes early on. So they're with you. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Jock Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.